Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we come to you and we say thank you for that. Thank you for taking our messes and making something beautiful of our lives. Lord, we know you are great and you're the only one that can do that. So tonight we come and we humbly come before you and we are ready to hear. We're ready to listen. We know you have much to teach. We pray for everyone tonight who might have stayed home for whatever reason. You know what they are going through. And Lord, we just pray that you will meet them where they're at. And for us who are here, we pray the same thing. Lord, you know us so well, and your word will minister right to that point. So we open ourselves up to you. We open our eyes, and we want to spiritually see Jesus tonight. And we know even in this kind of lesson, we can do that. We will do that. So, Father, we pray that that you will just, um, we know you're here, and now we invite you to be everywhere in us so that we don't miss a thing. May your spirit be so in tune with our spirit that we will, we can't miss it. So, Lord, thank you for, again, this opportunity. And we give you praise tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. Okay. All right. Now we turn to Esther chapter five and six, two chapters tonight. And it isn't going to be hard to, to understand tonight's message in the least bit. Um, I am going to go over those four words that we did last week in chapter, in chapter five. We went over um, four words that came out to me, at least. And the first one was throne, the, the word throne. King Xerxes sat on that throne, so pompous and so superior. And we learned that, that God never intended for man to have a king because he's enough. He's king. Um, but then we watched the behavior of earthly kings and earthly kingdoms, and, and he gets kind of shoved out. But I thought, too, when we think about our own lives, we have to know that someone's in charge. Someone sits on the throne of our life every minute of every day, and we choose who's going to sit on that throne. And as much as we would like it to be a two-seater, it's not. So it can be the Lord and us. So we have to decide who's going to be on the throne of our life. And even in last week's lesson, it's very visible that whenever we sit on the throne, whenever man thinks they can handle it, there's going to be trouble. So the word throne, always remember that only God has the right to sit on a throne physically or spiritually in our own life. And the second word is that we saw last week was the word happy. And, and we, there's nothing wrong with being happy. The only thing is, happy involves happenings, um, happiness. Um, and it's, 
Well, we saw from the lesson that how Haman is so temporary. It doesn't last. It's so fickle. How Haman could be happy one sentence and filled with rage the second sentence. And how quick... Um, we can not be happy. And that pretty much says that happy is when things are going our way, when we're comfortable, when, when we're very contented and we're just, well, we're, we're just happy because we're self-centered and when things are going our way, then that makes us happy. So um, I had to think about that and I thought, really, how how much can I look at my life and say that I am totally happy? I can look at every area of my life and say, I'm happy there. I'm happy there. I'm happy there. Everything is good there. Everything's good there. And, you know, I even said last week, it's less. And I think I'm being good, gracious, when I say it's less than 10%. When I can say that happiness is what gets me up because everything is going my way. It's just not the way life goes. And so uh, we have to take a look. If we're not going to be happy, if, if life is life and it's not going to cause us happiness all the time, then we better have something else. If happiness can be that shallow and that fickle and change that quickly and it can be that temporary, then we better have something else that we can we can go to, that we can know that will get us up in the morning when happiness isn't there. And Jesus said that in John 15, you remain in me and I remain in you. My joy in you will be complete. You can have joy. That's why joy and happiness are not the same. I mean, it's wonderful when we're happy and filled with joy at the same time. I mean, that's euphoric. But it's not, it's not normal. It's not usual to be happy and joy-filled. So to know what real joy is and where it comes from, um, I think it's so important. Otherwise, what happens? You get discouraged, you feed it down, and you know, you're frustrated and, and you're deluded thinking, how come he's supposed to make me happy? No, he never said that he'd make you happy. He never said life would be comfortable and easy. He did say he would be your joy. He'd be my joy if we remain in him and he remains in us. And then the, the next word we saw was boast. And we as humans, we love to be accredited. We love when, when people recognize what we've done. It really hurts when we're walked on, when we're not appreciated. And, and, and so often it's, it's easy, like how obnoxious it was last week when Haman, he just came in, he started boasting about his, his wealth and his, his palace and his position, his position in the palace and his sons and all of what he had. And and um, and then the very next verse was, but he wasn't satisfied because of what Mordecai, what Mordecai had done. It just kind of was a dark cloud that just busted his bubble, and and he boasted, even though he boasted it, and he recognized all what he had. You know, it still didn't satisfy. And so whenever we have a tendency to boast in and of ourselves, or we think we're shunned because we weren't appreciated or, or someone's walking all over us, you know, just remember that it isn't about other people when it comes to, 
to um, showing who we are serving. And we shouldn't be serving for the compliments. We should be serving because we are grateful for what he has done. And so anytime we boast, we should boast in the Lord, Paul says. So just make sure we understand that word boast. And then and finally, we saw the word revenge and how, how revenge will make someone happy. But it will be temporary. I mean, we saw how when the gallows were going to be built and when, when, the, when Haman's wife said, and his friend said, build those 75 feet high gallows and watch Mordecai dangle from his neck from there. And, you know, Haman, it was so terrible because it, it was like it. You know, it was like, oh, yeah, that's right. That feels good. He's going to pay. And, and then his wife and said, and then you can be happy again. You know, and that's how it was at the end of last week. And, and uh, so revenge is mine, says the Lord. He will handle it. And we're going to see all four of those words again in these two chapters of chapters 6 and 7. So anyway, hope your Bibles are open. And from the time that Esther had her first banquet, remember? And she finally got permission to come forward to the king and he held out his golden scepter and he looked at her and he said, oh, that's right, my queen, forgot about her, haven't seen her in 30 days. And so now she's in front of him and he says, what is your petition? And she comes up with, well, um, I have a banquet prepared for you and Haman and, and so... and." I want you to come. I mean, it was right now. So um, they both went to this banquet, and they're sitting there having a good time. And, and he says, okay, what's your petition? What do you want? Up to half my kingdom, what do you want? And it was kind of odd because she said, um, tomorrow we'll have another banquet. So now, why didn't she get it over with? Why didn't she just come right out at the first banquet and say it? But now, after studying 6 and 7, you can see God's detailed timing, how he used this particular time between the first banquet and the second banquet to change the whole scenario. And so how God is in this is just incredibly detailed, how perfect. How often don't you hear someone say, oh, it was a God thing. I mean, that's kind of a new new phrase nowadays. But really what you're saying is that that it had to have been God because no human could have done it that perfectly. And so we see that in this lesson. So between the first and second banquet, God did a lot. Now, maybe um, maybe Esther, she had no idea really what was going to um, happen. She had no idea God was really in the middle of this. She, there's no way or she would have been talking to him about it. But she doesn't. Her and Mordecai are still trying to maneuver and figure this out. And, and so um, she could be saying to herself, I could I put myself in her position, you know, why would, you, why would it cause me to say we're going we're gonna to put this whole banquet on again? I mean, why would you want to go through all that work again? But, you know, maybe she is thinking, you know, I just, I just need a little more time. 
time. You know, I just have to make sure my words are right. I have no idea how he's going to handle this when I tell him. So, you know, maybe she needed a little more time to get braver or whatever. So, anyway, we know. We know the answer. And it is incredible to watch what God did between that first and second banquet. So, here we go. Chapter 6. That night... That night, the king could not sleep. So we left Haman with his friends and his wife, and they're gonna, they made the decision to build the gallows, and, and that's where we left them. Well, the king, in in meantime, is going to bed because he can't sleep. Now, even that is a detail because you know, maybe he's not a good sleeper ever. Maybe he is in this particular night. He can't. But we know that God had worked in the first part of this book of Esther that how Mordecai happened to be the one who heard about this, this conspiracy to assassinate the king and he brought it to the attention and the king's life was spared. And remember, we said, now, um, mark that in your brain, because the Lord is going to use that. He's going to use that particular instance. And now we see it happen. So the king can't sleep. He tells his um, person, his, his eunuch or whoever is taking care of him, he said, or he ordered the book of the Chronicles to be read about, and, and what are the book of the Chronicles? It's about Everything about him, all about his reign. And he thinks of somebody to read to him probably how great he is. And, and he thinks, oh, that would just relax me and, and I'll go to sleep. So it was found, recorded there, that Mordecai had exposed those two men who had conspired to kill the king. So he exposed the two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. So this person is reading this story to Xerxes, and I don't know, it sounds like he didn't even know about it, really. I mean, to the point where he said, what honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? Now, look at that, and I want you to see that this time, King Xerxes uses the name Mordecai. So when he said, what honor and recognition has Mordecai received? Now, obviously, it was in the, in the, in the Chronicles that Mordecai was the one, and so the king acknowledged him by name. And so he said, has he been given anything? And the attendants answered, nothing, nothing has been done for him. Now, look at this detailed, exact split-second timing. The king is talking about this, and right at that moment, he hears something. Now, Haman has come over from his home, and he wants to check with the king about these gallows and how to hang Mordecai from them. But just watch. This is just going so perfectly. The king said, who is in the court? 
Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows he erected for him. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. We'll bring him in, the king ordered. So, you know, again, you cannot... Man can't orchestrate this, this perfect. I mean, only God can have all the pieces fitting together like this. So when Haman entered, the king asked him. Now, I want you to notice here that the name Mordecai is not brought up. So the king says to Haman, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? What should be done for that man? Well, you know how this goes, but this, this Haman, is this normal? Yeah, a self-centered person does not think about anybody else, so he can't even possibly even envision that there is someone else other than himself at this point. But that the whole thing about not saying Mordecai's name but yet he did say it at the beginning to, to his assistant. And that to me is so of the Lord because the Lord wants Haman to hang himself first before he literally is hung. So now Haman thought to himself, of course he did. He's Haman. Who is there that the king would rather honor than me? He's thinking that to himself, oh, there's no one. It's me. So he answered the king. He, all of a sudden, his imagination goes. And he, for the man, the king delights to honor. Have them, and here it goes. Have them bring a royal robe that the king has worn. And, and have them bring a horse that the king has ridden. One with a royal crest placed on its head. I mean, he just doesn't want any horse. He wants one of the horses that the king has ridden that has that royal crest. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming, oh, he's so dramatic. Because this is what he wants. This is his dream. And so he is just, you know, I might be reading it with dramatics, but you know this is what's going on in his head. And then when you see the word proclaim in there, I mean, the, the time when I hear the word proclaim, you proclaim like the angels did when Jesus was born. The word proclaim is when you're announcing, not Haman, but of course he thinks that they need to proclaim and look at what he wants to be proclaimed. This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. So he's got the dress, right? He's got the horse that he wants. He's got the prince that he wants to lead. He's got, he's got the words that he wants proclaimed. Verse 10. 
Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe. Get the horse. I bet, I bet Haman is already up on his feet. I bet he is ready to go and, and do just as you suggested for Mordecai the Jew. Wouldn't you have loved to have watched that facial expression? I mean, from this, this pompous, egotistical proclaimer, he now hears the word Mordecai, the Jew, and it's for him. So Haman got the robe. Oh, and then it says, and do not neglect anything that you've, you've recommended. In other words, that was good, Haman. You, you nailed it. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He, he robed Mordecai, led him on horseback through the city, streets proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Can you imagine how embarrassing, how humiliating and you and I, we can't help but smile because God is in this. And isn't that exactly what he said last week when we looked at the word revenge? I mean, how the Lord is saying, would you just let me do it? I stay, I know what's going on. And so I can handle it in the best way. And you got to admit, this was prime. The way he handled Haman. God gets his best revenge. He knows what to do and how to do it. And Haman is brought to a place that he hasn't been in a long time. And afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Now, what a contrast from that verse, those two verses, when he, he's got his head covered. He didn't even, I think he put his head down, and on his way home, he didn't want anybody to say anything to him. Let's get to see anybody. He didn't want them to see him. He wanted to just get home. Let's get this over with. And so it is a contrast from what we saw last week when Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, all the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. So a far cry, how the Lord just knows how to handle people like this. And before we can get too cocky, I mean, that's the Lord's got to deal with us because we veer off course and, and we are not living righteously. We, are, we have pushed the Lord off the throne and we're sitting on that throne. And what causes us to do that? What causes us? Because we know, we, why would we want to do that? Why would we want to be off the throne why would we want to push the Lord off the throne? And why would we want to be on that when we see the evidence of the consequences? And yet we do. Self is so powerful. 
And remember last week when we said how um, Barnum did that survey and he asked Christians, Christians, he said, you know, what causes you, even though you know you don't want to do it, and yet what causes us, God's people, to think we can handle our own life? And the first one, remember the first one that shoves the Lord off the throne and puts us back on the first one is worry. Worry and anxiety. And then we think we got to work this. We got to fix this. We got to do something. And right away then we have disconnected with God. And we are on our own. The second one, the second one that he said was was procrastination, which is, you know, I'm I'll do my Bible study later. I will study later. I will open my Bible later. I have so many things to do. Um, I want I have to watch this program first. And before you know it, we have gotten off the track and because we procrastinated. We didn't think it was that important. We thought that it wouldn't do that much damage. But it does. We need that we need that study in our lives. And then the third one is social media. I mean, very very easy to understand how quick our lives have changed, our world has changed with technology. And it is it is appalling to think that even Christians believe the social media more and read that quicker than they do God's word, in his opinion. I mean, think about it. I mean, this can be very convicting how quick we are to pick up our social media and our Facebook and get our information from here. And we have, this is my Bible. I believe it's God talking to me. I believe every word is true and it's all that I need. Well, then let's just make sure we're putting it into practice because if we're not putting it into practice, we're going off. Fourth one is laziness. It's laziness. And, and I know that we don't like that word lazy. And, and maybe some of you are real busy people and you do a lot and, and you think, lazy, that's not me. But lazy is in it, it, really all of these pertain to avoiding God's word. It really does. All five of these really do pertain to not going to God's word. So when you're lazy... What's the opposite of lazy? And that's work. I mean, when you work, I mean, it takes work. It takes decisive attitude. It, it takes effort and time. It takes that to really stay on track with the Lord and to really keep self off the throne when it so wants to be there. It takes hard work. And that's why when we're not willing to put in the hard work and the time, then the opposite of that is lazy. We don't want to do it. And the fifth one is, well, we said food. And it, it's really anything that takes priority. You know, it's when, when, we, when we don't consider this so important. 
and we, we talked at length last week about, you know, we in the United States were so spoiled, and we have gotten to the point where we, we um, live to eat. I mean, it's the highlight of our day. <laughs> when other countries, are, I mean, these poor people are, are, oh, man, they eat to live for another day, <laughs> at least hopefully. I mean, it's so so contrast, but we we can get so spoiled, and we get get such in our own little world that we we let the things of this world take priority, and that then will take us right off the track. It will take us and put us right on the throne of our life, and we have just kicked him off. Happens to the best of people. So we've got to be in tune. We've got to know that this is when and how it happens. So when we're not walking right with the Lord, when we don't feel that joy, we don't have to be happy, happy, ha ha. Of course not. But when we're missing the joy of the Lord, then something's amiss. So now um, we have. Um, back to Esther chapter 6. I mean, you have his advisors now and his wife in the end of verse 13. They're trying to, you know, before they said, oh, build the gallows, uh, you'll be happy again. You'll get your revenge. And now they're singing a whole different song, aren't they? Since his wife said this to him, since Mordecai, in other words, you know what? He has been like a thorn in your flesh. Ever since he was sitting at the city gate and wouldn't bow to you, and you, you heard that he was from that, that group of people. There was a few of them in every province, and, and they have the little behavior differences. I mean, they're, you know, they worship a little different. And, and, I mean, obviously, it hasn't been a big deal about the Jewish people because they've blended right in. It not caused any trouble. It, the Jewish people did not become a big deal until Haman made it that way. And this is where I think the Lord is using Haman because why, why, why the people that were Jews, why didn't the rest of the people know what they believed and how they believed it? And why weren't they being a testimony to their neighbors so that they would know about the one true God? I don't know. See, it was much easier when they were supposed to go home to Jerusalem and it had been watered down and they didn't see the importance of going back and following that command and they stayed put because why? Oh, we're comfortable and it's easier here. It just doesn't make sense for us to go that whole four-month journey back there and then have to work and build this wall and rebuild the city. Oh, no, we're used to this life now. But they turned up. I mean, look at his wife. He, they knew that there was something different about Mordecai the Jew. And he has been a problem from day one. And so she then comes right out and says, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, and you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. I mean, she has some, I think the Lord just used her and said, you better say it the way it is. 
and this is the way it is. Even though nothing was said about God, and that disappoints me, but they, it's like God is so in this that even Haman's wife can't help but see that this is not going to end well. You will surely come to ruin. Oh, boy, I bet Haman's heart started beating fast. And while they were talking, while they were still talking about this, the king's eunuchs arrived, and they hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. So all this happened in that short time period, from the time when, when, the, when the king couldn't sleep, Haman came from his house after making the decision on the gallows and then wanted to check it out with the king. And, and now all of this has transpired. And now Mordecai has been given his reward by Haman, which is so good of God to make sure that all worked out. He just did it so great. But now we see that it's the next day. It's the next day. And so the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And as they were drinking wine on that second day, did you think again? Yep, that's all they do. It's all they seem to do. And I thought about that. Why do they have to do that all the time? And we'll see down the way. I mean, if they are seriously, I'm not making that up. I mean, you've seen it. They're doing that all the time. Do they know that their lives are a mess and this is the way they, they um, try to numb it? I doubt it. They think they're great. I think they think this is the social thing. But it's just constant. So they, are they always in a buzz? I, I don't know, but they've always got to be drinking. So now um, it says the, the king again asked Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. He asked the very same, with the same words, he asked the same question. This time, then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, okay. And if it pleases your majesty, now watch this. Grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. Wouldn't you just love to have changed a few words in there? Wouldn't you just have loved it if she would have put it in a different? For I and my people, see, when Mordecai said that too, when he talked about my people, I mean, there was their perfect chance for both of them, Mordecai and Esther, to say, God's people, we are a part of God's family, the one, the only God. I mean, Daniel had no trouble saying that, did he? And yet, these two just didn't see it, they just couldn't get it out that way. I don't think God was important to them as he was to Daniel, because they weren't walking in the same relationship. 
So she says, for I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and um, annihilation. Look what she says. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. Oh, didn't it just make you kind of gag? I mean, she thought she would rather have all her people be sold into slavery, and then she would have done nothing because she didn't want to bother him. That spoke terrible volumes to me. She would have let the people, the Jewish people, go into slavery. She didn't have any trouble letting them do that. But Mordecai, remember how Mordecai worked her. And so she says, you know, I, I wouldn't have never want to disturb you, king, but they're going to annihilate. They're going to kill them all. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is the man who has dared to do such a thing? Again, I repeat, I don't think being Jewish was a big deal until Haman just plain got it in his crawl that he was so mad at Mordecai that just killing him was not going to be good enough. And then when you hear Esther willing to sell him off as slaves, and, and that would have been okay with her, something is not right here. Now, this is where Esther does seem to, I think she knows that, that she is gotten this far and Haman has dug his own grave pretty much. So she, I think, gets this sense of, of um, self-strength because she <laughs> spits out these three words that describe Haman. He, she says, the adversary, the enemy, and the vile Haman. I mean, that was gutsy. That really was. I mean, she, she did tell the truth, and she said he's an adversary, he's an enemy, and he is vile. Then Haman was terrified, a little different in disposition, might you say, from this pompous man, and hey, now how God has just humbled him. Remember the Lord, he, he just hates he hates, and the Bible even uses the word hate. He hates haughty attitudes. It's one of the most detestable. It's one of the top seven. In fact, it's the top one. He hates a haughty spirit. He hates it when, especially his children, think that they know better, and they're not trusting him, and they don't humble themselves before him. When when they get on their own throne, that's pride. And he hates that because he knows we're just going to mess up. And he's going to have to come and fix it again. When are his people going to learn? 
So Haman is terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage. And, and then like, oh, left his wine. He had to leave his wine. I mean, he had to be mad because he left his wine and went out to the palace gardens. I think he, he was so mad that he just, I got to get out of here. I got to think about this. Well, he might have left for whatever reason because he was mad and needed air. He needed something. He needed to get out of there. But God, in his perfect timing, again, wanted to create a scene that would just put the nail in the coffin without any hesitation. So, But now Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. The king got up, and he's probably tossing things around. He's probably pushing furniture, and he's, he's just, you know, just got to get out of here. And Haman knows his Goose is cooked, and he is going to go to the queen. Maybe I can plead for mercy. And because he's probably, you know, I, I, this is what I pictured. He probably was going to go to the queen and, and kneel before her couch, get on his knees and beg, you know, on his knees. I think that's probably what he was going to do. But he probably, he probably was snockered and he was probably swaying away. But as God could use that, he had Haman fall right on top of her. Now, this is not coincidence. Even those details, that is not coincidence, how the Lord just worked that out. And then, now watch, we're not done yet. It says, just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch. Split second timing. I mean, he, he probably walked in. Haman is falling on the queen. She's probably trying to muscle him off her. I mean, it probably was quite a sight. He's walking in on this. The king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? I am sure that molesting the queen was the farthest thing from his mind. He was begging for his life. So he, I don't think he, he was even thinking about being molested or let, molesting the queen. But as God would have it, he wanted, he wanted the king to walk in on that, looking like it. Oh, that's good. This is so good. As soon as the word left the king's mouth, as soon as that word, as, as he said to that Ask that question, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in this house? And as soon as he said that, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A gallows 75 feet high stands by Haman's house. He had it made for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai. Does God do it perfectly? 
I mean, that's when it's so easy to want to humanly get back at someone. Hasn't this lesson reassured us that our first move when someone has hurt us is not to get back at them, to hurt them. I mean, that might give you a split second of satisfaction, but that kind of happy and satisfaction doesn't last. The first thing we should do, I think we have learned, is go to the Lord and leave it there and say, we know that you have heard, you have listened, and now you will handle it. And then we can go on living so as we watch God work this out, we see Haman hung from the gallows. Then look at how the king's fury subsided. Unfortunately, that made him feel good, I guess. It changed his rage probably back to happy. He probably thought there, you know, he got what he deserved. You know, I had you look up two verses, and I, I apologize because I put the two verses in question nine, and they should have been in question ten. So if it caused you confusion, I'm so sorry. But those two verses in question nine, the Galatians verse and the Proverbs verse, I mean, look at what Solomon wrote in Proverbs when he I mean, look at, he, he knew God had instilled within his mind this wisdom. And when, when, he, when he wrote, what is, what is it? It's Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride does go before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. I mean, and what are the Proverbs in there for? They're for us to learn. I mean, they're like like one-liners that make you think. And, and God had Solomon in his, in his wisdom write these one-liners so that we can look at it. Pride goes before destruction. Yep. And a haughty spirit before a fall. In other words, it doesn't last. You pay for that kind of attitude. And then in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, how Paul wrote this so beautifully. I mean, and put it bluntly, he said, do not be deceived. I mean, there's nothing that the devil would love to have you think that, ah, this isn't true. You aren't going to reap what you sow. Go ahead. And Paul says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the Holy Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So black and white, so cut and dried. How you want to live your life. If you, if you want to be on the throne of your life, if you want to be happy all the time, if you just boast and you want people to see all your human accolades, if you want to make people pay, then don't be surprised when it comes back to bite you. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. He knows 
And he hates this kind of action. But if you want to please the Holy Spirit, if you want to keep the Lord on the throne, if you want to keep that ear tuned to the Holy Spirit, then look what happens. You will reap eternal life. It will be so worth it. You have no regrets. You have nothing to feel guilty about. You did it God's way. But that takes work. Because you know, we've said it a hundred bazillion times. It's so much easier to go our own way. To go the way we feel. To go the way we want. So much easier. And it takes work to hear God's voice. It takes work and effort and desire to go to your Bible instead. It takes work to bring it before him instead of trying to figure it out when we just... It takes work to wait for the Lord to do it the right way when we just want to do it now. So it's hard work, and that's why Paul wrote this in the very next verse. Do not, or let us not, become weary in doing good. Because if it takes work, that means, ooh, it's... It, it, you could get weary. You can get tired. Work makes you tired. So Paul makes sure that that verse is there. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, and boy, if this lesson hasn't showed us that God has a proper time, split second even, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, and we all do, we have opportunities. He says, use them, use them in a good way. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. What does that say, especially to those who are that belong to God's family. This is such a, a verse. I think the lights just came on for me. I got a new answer for people that say, you know, I just like to stay home now. I have gotten so used to staying in my pajamas and, and just watching church on TV. And it's just so comfortable and i got a whole new answer for them now. I know they're, they're getting it. It pieces us. I mean, it feels good. It's comfortable. And, but but what, does, what does Paul say? That we need to do good for all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We need each other. We need each other. And we shouldn't be embarrassed to say it. So that pretty much is the story and still so relevant to apply. But I want to I end with three verses tonight. And, and again, just to prove to you that this, this is not coincidental. You know John 3.16 is your and my salvation verse, right? We know. We, if someone would say to you, um, do you know where for God so loved the world is found? You would know that. John 3.16. 
and he, he gave his son so that I would not perish but have everlasting life. We know that. That's our salvation verse. And then, then we've watched 2 Timothy 3.16. So we don't forget. I mean, I think it's so important, and it's put this way, so we don't. 2 Timothy, Paul's talking to Timothy in 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16. Okay, once you've had John 3.16, then you need 2 Timothy 3.16, because how am I going to live this life? And Paul says to Timothy, oh, make sure that when you are training and teaching and rebuking and, and you've got to use this book because it's the only book that will equip God's people for his work. So once you've had John 3.16, you need 2 Timothy 3.16 because that is the solution on how to continue to walk in your salvation. We don't work for our salvation, but we need to live it out, and we live it out in God's word. And then finally, this was a new one for me. I mean, I've read the Bible through, but I never caught this, that this is a coincidence. It's Malachi 3.16. Malachi 3.16, this is what it says. Because remember, when we started tonight in chapter 6, we, we saw the king couldn't sleep, so he, he wanted the, the records of the chronicles. He wanted this book, the book that was filled with information about his reign, and he wanted it read to him, the, the book of the chronicles. Now, this is so important that in Malachi 3.16, I think God wants us to not forget this, that then those, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard, and then a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. I need to remember, and I think you do too, we need to remember that when we're talking, when we're conversing, when we're gathered in groups, the Lord listens and he hears. And this is what I didn't know. He's writing it down. He's, he's got a scroll of remembrance. And he's writing down the things that we're saying concerning those, it says, a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. So the Lord has a book of Chronicles, now it's called the, the book of remembrance. It's called the scroll of remembrance. And our God is listening and he hears. He hears our conversations. He knows what we're saying. I think that's very important. So John 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16, and now Malachi 3.16. To help us remember that not only do we have a God who's around, who knows us by name, but he's also got a scroll of remembrance. And he's writing down the conversations of those who fear him. So I would say we have to check that. So many things tonight. 
Heavenly Father, you just have a way of really bringing these words to life and using people to, to really let us go into the story and, and hopefully we see ourselves that we, I mean, the part of ourselves that maybe we tried to shove under the rug or we tried to, we tried to not admit it's there. But Lord, you want things addressed. You want it confronted. You want us to know that you hear. We, and you, you want the best for us. So may we learn from these words tonight. Father, may we even take a look at that survey again and say, am I worrying too much? Is that why the Lord's not on the throne? Maybe, maybe I'm procrastinating. Maybe my study time is, is not that important to me. Father, maybe we are going to our technology quicker and believe those people on that instead of your words, your voice. Father, we, we definitely, we definitely want to stay on track with you. We don't want to be lazy. We want to work hard at this. Father, we want to keep you in the top priority, that nothing of this world is more sing it from our Lord, as we now sing this song, may we sing it from our heart. Take my life, Lord, and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Father, there were so many times in this book that we wish Mordecai and Esther would have just dared to stand up and count you as their one and only counselor and helper and God instead of trying to figure it out themselves. But thank you the way you intervene and the way you work details, that your timing is so perfect and that you just know how to handle. But, oh, Lord, if they would have just seen your hand so specifically the way we are, but we never see them change, and that's heartbreaking. Father, but may we take a look at ourselves. May we let these lessons change us maybe in areas where maybe we were embarrassed, maybe we've been ashamed. Lord, may we make our stand and dare to be counted as one of yours. May we shine like a star and we will truly give you the glory and the praise because anything that comes, anything good that comes from us is all from you. Thank you for this opportunity tonight to learn. And let us not become weary in doing good and coming out and learning and studying because it will, at the proper time, reap a harvest. At just the right time, your spirit will help us recall something that we learned tonight. And we will we'll be so glad that we took the time to be here on February 1. Oh, Lord, you are that detailed. You love us that much. You don't want us to miss all the help that you've got for us, all the promises that are there for us. And we will truly give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.